Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you done. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? What if you could write a song with the click of a button? Santa Clara professor Maya Ackerman created a system called Alicia that writes melodies based on user-inputted lyrics. Here's a recent song called Believe in Us. This song was created by Alicia, which stands for Automated Lyrical Songwriting Application. It was mixed and produced by Dusty Miraglia, the raffing was by Sarah Miraglia, and the vocals were by Maya Ackerman. Just in case you're new, welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave, and today I am talking with Professor Maya Ackerman, who is a computer science professor at Santa Clara, and she created Alicia. Um, She also wrote a book about her grandfather, a Holocaust survivor, titled Running from Giants, the Holocaust Through the Eyes of a Child. Um, Today on the show, we talk about how she developed Alicia, how she fell in love with computer science and artificial intelligence. We also talk about what it means to be creative and how artificial intelligence can help humans be more creative rather than just replace them. You can also check out the Alicia songwriting software at tryalicia.com. That's T-R-Y-A-L-Y-S-I-A.com. You can enter into the songwriting contest until March 1st, 2018 on the website. There are some cool prizes, so definitely check that out. Okay, I think that's all I got, so here's the interview. And so I was wondering first about your childhood experiences and where where you were born and how that kind of shaped you into the person you are today. Oh, wow. That's an awesome question. <laughs> Start at the beginning. So I was born in Soviet Russia mm. back when it was communist mm. uh, in 83. And uh, so that was my sort of introduction to the world. Mm-hmm. And in 1990, my family moved to Israel. And we spent five years, which was fabulous. Uh, we lived in this little sort of poor neighborhood, but it was still the best five years of my life. We moved to Canada when I was 12, um, which was totally different. It was kind of these three cultures, which is vastly, vastly different from each other. And it was only over the past um, about five or six years that I've been living in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the U.S. and Canada are not as 
radically different. <laughs> when did you first start to get interested in computer science or artificial intelligence? That happened later. I was into the arts as a kid and teenager. And um, it was around the time that I started to think about what I want to do for a living. I talked to my dad, and he suggested that I do what he does, and he's a developer. Mm. Uh, and I tried it, and it just fit so well, mm. almost, almost right away. It was, I really enjoyed programming, it was sort of this. Mm. I remember writing these really simple coding exercises where, you know, you make the computer. I forget exactly what it was, but it's something on the complexity of, you know, implementing multiplication. And I was just so amazed that I can make the computer do things. Mm -hmm. And did you ever think you would, you could use your music interests professionally? No, no, I didn't. Not for mm -hmm. a very long time. In fact, uh, the idea of somehow incorporating my artistic interest with, uh, with, you know, computer science has occurred to me several times, but it's just, I didn't think that there was an interesting enough way of doing it. I didn't really want to do anything that was similar to the type of um, arts and music related software that existed at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought it would it'd be silly to try to combine these interests mm -hmm. until um, I was already a professor. It's just so funny looking back. Um, and this was my first year as a professor and I was attending ITA. Uh, so it's this workshop on information technology. Mm -hmm. um, and there was this little uh, segment in it that had to do with the arts. And I was just completely blown away at, at how the speakers were talking about combining art music with computing. It was just so profound. Mm -hmm. um, for example, Harold Cohen was there uh, showing his program named Aaron. And he was just got so passionate about whether or not Aaron, the program, is really being creative. And how all these people were saying that his program is creative. And he was the only voice of reason saying that it's not. And I was just so fascinated by this whole, in a way, argument that he was embodying right there on the stage. Mm -hmm. And then um, Mark Riddell showed his storytelling system. Like, what? A computer writing a story? It was just so crazy. Uh, and then uh, Gerard, uh, this other professor, showed a system that creates music autonomously. Hmm. And so I, I waited until everybody else finished asking them questions. And uh, we ended up speaking for about an hour. They told me all about these fields, all about computational creativity at the research area. It's a, it's a really little known research area. I've never mm -hmm. heard of it up until that point, and a lot of my colleagues never heard of it as well. Um, and so I went to the conference, the International Conference on Computational Creativity. Hmm. Um, it was funny, my uh, my laptop sort of got ruined on the way there, I spilled water on it. So I remember just being very attentive at the very first, <laughs> uh, very first talk, and somebody just offhand mentioned that a computer can be a creative collaborator. And in that instant, I'm like, okay, I need to make myself a collaborator for writing songs. Mm -hmm. I've been struggling to write original songs for about three or four years at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how Alicia started. Hmm. And then uh, what what next steps did you take to develop Alicia after that conference? Oh, yeah, it's so exciting. It was just this, it's it's really akin, uh, the most similar thing is falling in love. You know, like you're, you're waiting your whole life and you're dating and then you meet that one person. And it's just, oh, my God, like, that's really how it felt. Um, <laughs> Maybe it sounds cliche, but that was my experience of it. I, I came home and my husband is... Um, they're a good developer, also, also a machine learning person. I'm like, David, we got to do this. 
And he's like, really? And then like I convinced him to do it, and he got really excited as well. And within three months, we had a prototype. Hmm. And I and at this point, there's no user interface. It's like really hard to use. We printed a whole bunch of these melodies. So uh, the idea has always been: you type text, and it gives you melodies. So we type some text, we get melodies, and they're just terrible format, not musical notation at all, like numbers representing mm-hmm. the duration and pitch of each note. And I'm sitting by the piano, just trying to read this horrible notation, and suddenly I can write songs. It was just like completely surreal experience. Hmm. Um, and pretty quickly afterwards, it became clear that you know, we need to share this. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on machine learning, but I kind of get the idea that the program can analyze um, tons and tons and thousands of melodies and then start to learn things about those melodies. But how does the program take the additional step to be creative and create something new as opposed to something just like everything else it's studied? Oh, that's a brilliant question. That's really clever. <laughs> um, so, I mean, a few things. Let me kind of just briefly explain how Alicia in particular works. Um, so it's just a super, super brief introduction, and then I'll, I'll give you a question. So machine learning centers on prediction. So classical um, machine learning systems of uh, various levels of complexity often try to predict outcome. Uh, so you have a certain situation, you're trying to predict what the outcome is going to be. So a classical example would be um, there's a stock, is it going to go up or down within a certain very specific length of time? Mm-hmm. So, you know, up or down, yes or no, this kind of buckets. Now, when we do generation instead of prediction, we're sort of turning things on their head. We're saying, okay, Alicia, predict the next note for me. Good job, Alicia, you were right, now predict the next one. And so it ends up um, generating by predicting, which I think is pretty amazing. When you're doing the machine learning, if you want to imitate, you're going for very high accuracy. That's sort of one way. You just predict it as accurately as possible. One way that you can go uh, more diverse is to, instead of aiming for, um, is to perhaps compromise some of that accuracy intentionally mm-hmm. to, be, to in order to get results that are more diverse. Mm-hmm. Like keep, keep your model at a slightly lower accuracy in order for it to explore the space more widely. That's sort of one way that you could go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one solution. Uh, it's not, not the solution to be took. I'm just giving a mm-hmm. fairly basic example here. Mm-hmm. Another option uh, it depends on the data itself. If your data is pretty diverse, let's say you mix up at uh, one time, this actually happened by accident. It was so funny. We had two models one trained on Puccini music and one trained on pop songs. And we accidentally loaded both. Mm-hmm. And so we started getting um, results that were unique because they were a mixture of the two. I was like, well, I'm getting very confused. It kind of sounds like pop and kind of sounds like classical at the same time. Well, yes, because the data is mixed. That's mm-hmm. another way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's actually something that computational creativity really focuses on. It doesn't like to stick with imitation because imitation mm-hmm. itself is not creative. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people think of uh, maybe like computers or machines uh, taking jobs and then humans only doing the creative work, but then uh, you're working on something that um, it is a computer doing some creative work. So do you think in the future, um, machines and computers will be able to do both creative and kind of the rote work they're more known for? I think the answer is very, very clear, yes. The com- computers are already to some extent doing creative things. What's happening though, and that's something I, I teach in my computational creativity class, because it's really mm-hmm. fun. The moment a computer can do something, we click, quickly declare it not to be creative. Hmm. Uh, there are famous paintings um, done a little while back 
where the artist was able to create a perfect circle or a perfect square, and that was amazing. And it's not so amazing anymore because computers have been doing that for a while mm-hmm. and are doing it better than us. So in a way, creativity is a moving target. That being said, I think you're hitting on a really important point. Uh, and I think it's up to us to create the kind of world that we want to live in. So in my work with Alicia, it's really, really critical for me that we are helping people. That we are not ever replacing musicians. We are giving them the ability to do something that perhaps they couldn't do otherwise. Yes, there are musicians who can do everything, who don't need the help of software. But most musicians, like most computer scientists, have a specialty, something they're really good at and something else they really struggle with. So in my case, I'm a tra- trained singer, and I had trouble with melodies. Because that's mm-hmm. one thing that we focus on with Alicia. Um, and so we plan to add other aspects to Alicia as well, so that people could fill in whatever expertise they're missing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that there's going to be um, less work because of artificial intelligence or machine learning in the future? I think that that's a big social issue. Um, I think that as a society, we need to take that very seriously. Uh, in particular, the example of self-driving car comes to mm-hmm. mind. Uh, it is fairly well known that um, truck drivers, uh, being a truck driver is one of the most common jobs. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to think very seriously about how technology that we like affects people in various industries and how, as a society, we can make sure that we move together, we move forward all together, that we don't leave uh, mm-hmm. any parts of society behind. Um, and it's definitely something I'm very mindful of in my job. Like, I, I want... I want to make sure that musicians are helped by this. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also saw that you were doing some research using, also using computational creativity, but applied to dance. So how does that, uh, how do those two relate? Oh, that was so fun. <laughs> that was a wonderful project. Um, this wonderful dancer by the name of Jenny Patouche uh, came by to me and she told me that she wants to have visualizations behind her that move along with her and she describes this really amazing vision mm-hmm. and so i got to get to know a little bit more about dance through her but basically you have a dancer moving and then there are things behind them on stage that move as they move so mm-hmm. the visualizations become part of the dance and it looks it can look just so incredibly good and what mm-hmm. we did there is we kind of made it work in the correct way because the way that this typically works is that the dancer has to memorize their choreography perfectly so that they can dance along with a pre-recorded video, mm-hmm. uh, which is extremely difficult and takes away a lot of the creativity from the dancer. Uh, and so what we did it, what we did is uh, through infrared lights, we were able to detect where the dancer and various parts of the dancer are positioned. And based on that, uh, it creates visualizations. So now instead of the dancer following the visualizations, the visualizations follow the dancer. Mm. Um, and that's uh, that was really incredible. It's mm. such a such a fun, fun project. So mm. again, it has to do with allowing people to do to be more creative instead of being replaced in any in any right. sense. Yeah. Right. And then um, a third area of research that I noticed on your website was titled um, Clustering Bioacoustic Signals of Marine Animals. <laughs> so I can see the link between a music and dance, but how did uh, how did marine animals come into the picture? Well, I've been doing cluster analysis for a long time. Um, in fact, my uh, my master's and PhD thesis are both on are both on foundations of cluster analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not 
this project's not part of it, uh, but I suppose it makes sense that I'd be part of that project given this background. Um, and this is a joint project um, with uh, San Diego State University. It's this amazing lab right by the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're doing is we're looking at sounds created, actually whistles in particular, created by marine animals. Mm-hmm. And sort of the holy grail here is to be able to hear a whistle and be able to identify what kind of animal created that whistle. Mm-hmm. But we are, as uh, the research community, this is a very, very difficult challenge. And so we're quite far from it. Uh, but we're making progress towards this incredible goal by applying cluster analysis. Are there any, um, any aspects of your research in any area where you think that in you know, 5 or 10 or 20 years, there's something that you really want to be able to do, but you're not able to do it yet, and you're kind of working towards that? Or do you have any goals for... Um, or areas that you think that these systems could improve, I guess, over the next several years? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Well, I think my vision with Alicia in particular is for it to be able to help a musician with anything that a musician Mm -hmm. could need. Right. So in that sense, um, this vision in its grandest sense would take a while to achieve. there's just so much that goes into music making. I mean, we're listening to a song on the radio, and it's like, yeah, okay, that's nice. Do uh, and sometimes it's, it's hard to understand how many people are involved with it, and how mm. many hours of training and experience make it possible to create one song that you know, is good enough to play on the radio. Mm. Say, mm-hmm. so for mm. a computer to be able to assist you, so that regardless of what part you like to do, mm. focus on, it can fill in the rest. I think that would be. Would be pretty powerful and it will take a little while i think with most research projects there is a grand vision that we work towards and there are the small goals mm-hmm. and it's always a matter of keeping an eye out for both the big picture and mm-hmm. stuff that's achievable mm-hmm. pretty quickly i feel like with music uh songwriters a lot of times are really conveying their their emotion through their their writing and we kind of associate you know songwriting is like one of the most creative acts so do you do you think it it compromises at all to use a, a computer alongside a human when it's not coming straight from the human? Like, do you think people will respond negatively to that? Um, I think that this hits on one of the most pronounced myths about what creativity is. Um, it was around um, the Romantic era when uh, automation, in a very different form than we have today, started to come around that creativity started to be associated with emotions because clearly these machines don't have emotions and again this lets us take creative ownership or take creativity just for ourselves Um, i'm not saying that emotions don't have a role to play they do but emotions are helpful once you have a very very solid foundation in the skill so just because somebody's an emotional is emotional has access to their emotions doesn't mean that they're a great painter musician, actor, anything. All, all the arts require a huge, solid foundation. And when you have an interactive system where you interact with a machine, the emotions can come from the person, but a lot of the technical skill can come from the machine. Mm-hmm. So in fact, um, this would then allow somebody who doesn't have technical skill and all, you know, and everything required to make music or whatever else the system is trying to help with, uh, to still be able to mm-hmm express themselves. I mean, ultimately, that's what it's about. We want the human to meaningfully engage in the creative way, more so than they were able to do without the help of the computer mm-hmm. system. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then one one other area I'd like to touch on is uh, the book you wrote in 
2013 uh, called Running from Giants, the Holocaust Through the Eyes of a Child. So where did uh, you get that idea and how did that project end up happening? Yeah, so um, I'm granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor. Uh, my grandfather was born in Poland and uh, when he was about, uh, um, when he was kind of an um, older child between the ages of 9 and 11 is when uh, Nazis invaded Poland and mm -hmm. eventually killed off his whole immediate family. Mm -hmm. uh, he ran away and uh, ended up spending a long time in a ghetto. And, and the fact that he survived at all is mm -hmm. probably the most unbelievable thing that happened to mm -hmm. anybody in my family. Um, Holocaust survivors don't like sharing their stories. Mm -hmm. They don't. He didn't like talking about it. I remember learning about the Holocaust when I was still in Israel. Um, coming home, telling my mother, did you know this terrible thing happened? And she's like, oh yeah, your grandfather is a survivor. As if it's like mm. this obvious thing. Um, I was totally shocked. She took me to see him that day and it was, we didn't have a car or anything. We walked up the mountain. It took a long time mm. <laughs> to visit him. And he just told me he doesn't want to talk about it. Mm. Um, then it was towards the end of his life when he knew that he didn't have a lot of time left. My mother convinced him to talk about it so we could write it down and at first he just wrote down some notes my dad and my brother translated them from Russian to English and they sent them to me and they said Maya could you please edit and I'm like okay sure I'll help out I'll edit and I look at it and I'm like we can't publish this we can't there's just not enough information everything is condensed it's basically point form notes uh, so I figured okay let me try to expand it maybe it's going to take three months it ended up taking three years because it was so hard to get him to talk about it. So it's a pretty short book, but it's uh, mm. took a very long time also to do it right. How do you do justice to something that's, that's so much outside my experience, you know? Mm. Uh, so it's definitely one of the most uh, kind of meaningful projects that I've ever mm. engaged in. What did you learn from studying his life? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the... There were a lot of lessons. I mean, first of all, I learned the story, which I didn't know. I learned the fact that my grandpa, who is just like this happy, jolly guy, uh, had these insane things happen to him and that he persevered when most people would reasonably give up. So that was just incredibly inspiring. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that, but my grandpa was the happiest person I've ever met, which flies in the face of most of what I know about psychology. So that was very, very confusing. Um, then um, I had a pretty major car accident much later, and I remember for a few seconds having this immense appreciation for life when I sort of realized that I'm okay. And that really brought back my grandpa, and perhaps mm. that's why he was so happy, because he was able to sustain this sort of appreciation for life. So I just want to think of perhaps the main lesson that came out of it. Hmm. And then... Uh, what have you done since then to, um, I take it you've done some other Holocaust education uh, efforts, so what what are you doing in that area? Yeah, this is one thing that I always feel like I should be doing much more. Uh, but um, I do give quite a few talks about it. Mm -hmm. I like to talk to children about it, because I think um, my grandfather's story gives a very accessible point. The story is very, very difficult, but it's not, the way it's written, I on purpose wrote it in a way that a person can read it without getting 
traumatized, let's say, more than necessary. So it gives a good introduction to, to very young. Well, I think it's around middle school that is considered mm-hmm. appropriate. So I talk to a lot of middle schools, a lot of middle school kids, uh, but I'll speak with adults. Mm-hmm. I give talks at mm-hmm. different venues, and it's it's uh, it's kind of an honor to be able to share his story. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'd love to wrap up with a couple shorter questions. Um, so first of all, what is your favorite place that you've traveled? Oh, favorite place? I think Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I get to travel a lot because of my job. Mm-hmm. What book should every college student read? Oh, there are so many. Um, I mean, for me, uh, one of the most influential books has been Eric Fromm's uh, The Art of Loving. Uh, it's going to be this philosophy book. It's just it's short and it's fabulous. Uh, and then... Um, Name is escaping me. Men's Search for Meaning mm-hmm. um, is yeah. uh, by uh, Victor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Is just so profound. Uh, it's a little bit of a harder read, but mm-hmm. I think it's it's also related to the Holocaust. But uh, mm-hmm. is one of the greatest philosophers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, if you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? Oh wow. You have amazing questions. (laughs) A message. Um, What I love most about the United States, having lived in many different countries, is that the United States is the place where dreams come true. And that's what this country is about. And I think it really is what it's about, having lived here and and see the absolutely amazing things that happen here, like Silicon Valley, which doesn't really exist anywhere else mm-hmm. uh, so I think what I'd like to say is for people to you know believe in themselves and to go for what they want especially when it feels like what they want is too much mm-hmm. and even if it requires them to reimagine themselves and what they're capable of mm-hmm. what uh, advice would you give to a student who's just starting college I could be similar actually mm-hmm. yeah just like there are so many forces in society that tell us who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think anybody who's ever achieved anything meaningful had to break through from that mm-hmm. and to trust that they know what's better for themselves, to believe mm-hmm. in their reflexes. You know, people are interested in different things. And one person's, I'm doing it because my parents told me job, and it's another person's dream job and vice versa. So you might as well go after mm-hmm. what makes you tick because that's what you're going to be amazing at. Mm-hmm. And finally, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you? Ideal Saturday. When did I have a good Saturday recently that wasn't full of work? (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I've sort of learned to embrace for life is that I keep changing all the time. But I think at the moment, it would be amazing to just spend, you know, a day out by the beach hiking and exercising and doing some yoga. And that would be just fabulous. (laughs) Mm-hmm. What should people do if they want to learn more about Alicia? Well, that's a good question. Um, so right now, Alicia is actually in free beta. So uh, everybody is welcome to check it out for themselves. Uh, it's at tryalicia.com. And you just uh, make yourself an account. And it's going to be free over the next couple of months. You can check it out. Type some lyrics or pick the number of bars you want. And uh, you can try to make some songs. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this conversation. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the really insightful questions.
Thank you so much for listening to the show today. You can subscribe to Voices of Santa Clara on the iTunes podcast app. You can visit VoicesOfSantaClara.com for interview transcripts, and you can like the Facebook page. Special thanks to Miles Elliott for the music. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.